Welcome to Chase Oaks Church. Welcome to Israel, where we'll be spending this next six-week series called Immerse. Immerse is a 40-day process, a 40-day journey, where we'll have the opportunity to better understand the story of the New Testament and better understand how you and I fit into that story. It's called Immerse because it's really an opportunity to dive in, to come to each week of the series, but also to read through with a reading program through Luke and Acts. There's a five-day-a-week reading program. Uh, Also, join a group or start a book club yourself as we'll go through and and further discuss what we're learning uh, through this 40-day journey in the book. It's going to be a transformative journey. There's going to be some things that really surprise you, some things that really disrupt you, but I know God is going to use it in our lives as we journey together. Now, before we dive into the journey and what we're going to talk about today, let me just introduce us a little bit to Luke um, as a person and kind of the book, what he was trying to do. Um, So Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament by volume than any other single person. Paul wrote more books of the New Testament, but Luke, in writing Luke and Acts, is actually 27% of the New Testament, just those two books. Uh, They're two volumes of the same book. Uh, Luke is also very unique because he's uh, not a Jewish Christian. Um, You know, Christianity came out of Judaism. All the other writers of the New Testament were Jewish Christians, but Luke is the only New Testament writer that was a Gentile. Um, He's actually writing to a fellow Gentile, a guy named Theophilus, that we read about early in the book of Luke when he says, Therefore, since I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. Wouldn't it be cool if we talked to each other that way? Most excellent Jeff or whatever. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. So Luke is writing this history of the story of Jesus all the way through the early church until the message of Jesus gets to Rome to help Theophilus and us understand the story and how we fit into that story. Now Luke starts the journey right where I am right now in Jerusalem. And he does that on purpose. Uh, You know, in America, we like things that are new. If there's a new restaurant, new hotel, we think that's really cool. But in the ancient world, people really wanted to understand the especially something like uh, religion, Christianity was brand new, that it was actually rooted in the ancient and rooted in the old. And, of course, Christianity is. And so Luke is doing that to let Theophilus know. And as you read through the first chapters of the book of Luke, you'll see a lot of prophecies. You'll see them in the temple. And that's all very important to help him understand that even though what Jesus came to bring was unexpected and new, it should have been expected because it was prophesied in the Old Testament and as part of the flow of the Old Testament. It was old. But what Jesus came to bring is also incredibly new. He brings the new covenant, a whole new way of relating to God, which is not about religion, but about a relationship. He brings in the kingdom of God, which was not a political kingdom like they were expecting, but something much bigger than that. And and a new community with a whole new ethic um, that we're going to see in this early part of the story. In fact, just how new it is, we're going to see right from the beginning with the story of John the Baptist, which will take us to our next location. Well, you've joined me at the Jordan River, which is another really great site in Israel. It's where Jesus got baptized. And and because of that, uh, a lot of people in our tour groups choose to get baptized as well, either baptized for the first time or baptized again where Jesus did. Now, this was not our group. This is just a really great story our guide told us is that uh, another group was getting baptized in the Jordan. And they noticed all this stuff on the surface of the water. It was getting in their hair. 
was getting in their clothes. It was kind of getting all over them. They didn't know what it was. It was kind of weird. And But they just, you know, pushed through it. And then just a little bit later, they found out that somebody decided that at the Jordan River was the perfect place to deposit their loved one's cremated remains. And it was just floating on the top all over them. Now, I'm sure that made quite a scene. But 2,000 years ago, John the Baptist was making a much bigger scene in, in this area of the Jordan. Um, who's John the Baptist? Well, we'll explain a lot about him, but I love the way another pastor describes him as kind of the opener, the warm-up act to the headliner. I think the last concert I went to was actually with my brother, Hootie and the Blowfish. This was just a couple years ago. Bare Naked Ladies was the opener. Now, that sounds terrible to some of you. It's just a goofy name. There's no Naked Ladies, but they were the opener. That's what John was. He was the opener to prepare the way for Jesus that had actually been predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, John the Baptist was a very different kind of guy. He was very radical. Uh, he dressed way different than anybody. His hair was crazy. He ate only locusts and honey, no Chick-fil-A or anything. So he was kind of out there. Uh, they call him the Baptist because, as you probably know, he was a member at Prestonwood. It just made sense. Um, okay, no, that's not true. But uh, they did call him John the Baptist because he was a baptizer. That's actually a better way to translate it, John the Baptizer. Now, baptism wasn't new, uh, and even in his era, because it was, it was part of the process, somebody who was not Jewish becoming Jewish, uh, coming into that faith. Uh, a non-Jewish person would get baptized as part of a multi-step process. It, it was a way of, of cleansing and of sort of saying goodbye to your old way of life and hello to the new way of life. What John was doing was very different, though, because he was baptizing Jewish people. And to into something totally new, uh, not only as a way of cleansing, but as sort of saying goodbye to one way of life and saying hello to another. So he was paving the way to something very new. He was also, it said, preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which is, again, really different because he was talking about forgiveness of sins outside of the religious structure at the temple and the sacrifices and all of that. And, and people were even... Uh, repenting for the forgiveness of sins who were considered pretty unforgivable, like tax collectors and so on. Uh, he was also very critical of the religious leadership for their hypocrisy. And, and he taught that righteousness is not about external compliance to just a bunch of laws, but that righteousness is actually shown in how we see other people, in kind of the vertical nature of how we treat people with justice, with love, with humility, with integrity. Now, because hundreds and thousands of people were coming out to John, and many of them following John, and they loved the freshness and the newness of what he was talking about, that was a big concern to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. So we learn from Matthew that the religious leaders come out to talk to John and front, kind of to talk to John and confront him. And they do. And they say, by whose authority do you do this? Who do you think you are? And he just said, look, it's not even me you have to worry about. Again, I'm, I'm the opening act, uh, the one to come, is who you need to be thinking about. But he also went right back after them, called them a brood of vipers, uh, as a way of saying, hey, you're not, you're not good people. You think you're the good people, but you're not. You're dangerous people because of what you're doing in, in your religion. Uh, that didn't go over so well, but they really couldn't do much about it because there were so many pro-John people around. So they just went right back to their religious perch. But when Jesus comes and chooses to get baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist, who was also his cousin, by the way, but who got baptized by John the Baptist into that newness of life, that was a very, very strong statement that what Jesus was bringing was 
very, very new and very, very different. One way to think about what the newness of what Jesus brought is like a cross. So you have the vertical beam and the horizontal beam. So vertically, Jesus is bringing a new covenant, a new way of relating to God that wasn't about sacrifice and ritual and all that, but was purely based in God's grace as Jesus would be the final sacrifice for sin, uh, making forgiveness of sin possible without all that religious stuff, purely by the grace of God. And so is a new way of relating to God, but also a new way of relating to other people in his new kingdom. It wasn't just about us and God, but also about us and others, a whole new ethic. Now, to begin to understand what that looks like, uh, Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, after he gets baptized, uh, he starts his ministry in Nazareth as he quotes an Old Testament passage, which shows actually not just what was old, but also what would be very new. And I'll see you there. Well, you're joining me now in Capernaum, which was a very significant city in the life of Jesus. It was really his headquarters for most of his ministry, certainly his ministry in the Galilee. And where I am right now is a really cool site. It's a synagogue. Uh, the synagogue itself dates back to the 300s. Um, but if you look at the foundation, you'll see a black basalt layer uh, which is the foundation of the, of the synagogue that Jesus would have taught in a lot. Uh, he made his home here. Um, he would come often on the Sabbath and teach in the synagogue and hang out in the synagogue. So this is one of those places that Jesus would have been quite a bit. And today our story that illustrates the newness of the way of life and the good news that Jesus came to bring is in another synagogue. I wish we could do it there. It was destroyed a long time ago. It's in Nazareth in his hometown, but it would have been very much like this one I'm in now. So Jesus goes to his hometown. It's where he begins his ministry after the temptation in the wilderness with Satan. If you read that story, he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he asks for a scroll to be given to him. It's Isaiah that's given to him. It's very normal for them to read, especially these Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. And that's what Jesus did. In Luke 4:18, he quotes from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And before I go on, just note the prophecy about the Messiah to come because that was not about political salvation, right? That was about something else, a whole other kind of deliverance and a whole other kind of redemption. And notice also the, the horizontal nature of the coming king, that this would be good news for the poor, uh, re releasing those who are oppressed and, and healing those who are blind. And which makes me always ask, if I'm understanding the newness of what I'm supposed to live into as this follower, is my life good news for the poor? Uh, are people around me being set free from different forms of oppression? Well, Jesus reads the prophecy. And then this was really dramatic. It says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, picture a mic drop if they had one, because that's a bold statement. He just read a messianic prophecy and he says, today, that is being fulfilled right now. He goes on and shares more that only gets him more in trouble with what he says. And at the end of it. They're not buying it. They try to kill him. 
because, hey, he's, they, he grew up there, right? It's a tiny little village. And they're like, hey, we can buy that you're a rabbi. We can buy, buy that you're a really incredible person. Everybody had a great reputation. But the Messiah, it felt like blasphemy. And so they try to kill him. He evades them, and he comes here to Capernaum where he sets up his ministry and sets up his, again, kind of his headquarters for this part of his ministry. And when he comes, he begins his ministry, he begins to fulfill the prophecy we just read as he's healing people, as he's delivering people from demonic oppression, um, as he's giving hope to the poor and lifting them up. He also here uh, finishes his choices of the disciples. He rounds those out. So a number of the disciples were from here, including Matthew, the tax collector, were from this town. Um, that was a bold choice, an unusual choice. Tax collectors were considered traitors. Uh, they worked for Rome and taxed their own people. They were considered unforgivable. But Jesus says, hey, I want you to be one of my followers. I want you to be one of my disciples. He also picks a guy who's a zealot. Those would be on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Zealots were far right-wing, radical, violent people against Rome. Uh, there could not be two more opposite people. And everybody in between, he's just, showing, he's just choosing very normal people, fishermen and so on, that's showing that his kingdom, part of the newness of it, is it really is open to everybody. It's not just for the highly religious people. It's for, it's for everybody. He also includes women as part of his crew, which would have been also a really bold choice to have women who are following closely with him and kind of part of the team. But again, that's the newness that Jesus came to bring, that this is open to everyone. Now, we're going to see just how new what he came to bring is at our next site as he lays it out for everybody. This is what I'm about. This is the newness that I'm bringing. Well, welcome to the Sermon on the Mount. Mount. <laughs> we're on the hillside where Jesus taught his most important sermon, which wasn't just a sermon. It was it was really very early in his ministry, his manifesto, letting the world know why he came into the world uh, in, in the kind of community that he came to create. He was talking about the kingdom of God, which everybody talked about then. That's strange, new, strange language for us. But kingdom of God is simply God's rule over this earth that has been challenged. And as this world is broken and messed up, and, and one day God will restore that when Jesus returns. But Jesus came to start that process, to create a new covenant, a new way of relating to God, and a new way of us relating to each other and to our world. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, he's laying out that new ethic, which are essentially the invitation list. He said, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And he lists different groups of people. But what's strange about it which shows you how upside down his view of the world is, how his kingdom is, as he's getting us right side up, is it's like all the wrong people. The first one is, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, the original listeners of Jesus on this hillside would have thought, what do you mean blessed are the poor? The poor are not blessed. The poor are cursed. The reason they're poor is because somebody did something bad. But that's not the way Jesus saw it. In fact, in another gospel we learn, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit meaning that when people are poor, they're more likely to also be poor in spirit, realizing that we don't have anything to offer to God, that our self-righteousness doesn't mean a thing. And those are the people who will live into the kingdom and be open to the new thing that Jesus is coming to bring. He also talked about quitting judging people by external compliance to religion, to be generous way beyond what is normal, to realize that real spirituality isn't about external compliance to a bunch of laws, but 
It's actually about in, internal transformation, about heart change. And he boils down all the laws in the Old Testament and all the ones that other people had added to it over the centuries to basically one thing, just treat other people the way you want to be treated. It's a really radical message. What all of these episodes show us that we've looked at today is that what Jesus came to bring, even though it's rooted in the Old and prophesied in the Old Testament, it is really, really new and, and very unexpected because of that. That Jesus wasn't about extending religion. He wasn't bringing a new religion. Want anything to do with religion, which is good news, as we've said before, for those of you who've been hurt by religion, burned by religion, exhausted by religion, or felt rejected by religion. Because Jesus was coming to bring a whole new covenant. It wasn't about religious rules and regulations. A whole new covenant, an agreement between God and man, how you and I could know him. Not by rule keeping, not by being good, but by accepting his grace and being accepted by his grace and a whole new ethic in the way that we relate to each other and the way we relate to our world that would build a whole new community, which would be a movement of radical love that God would use to reach this broken planet and reshape life on this earth. And one, another way to say that is that Christianity is not about religion and religious institutions and charismatic personalities and buildings and hierarchies. I mean, there's places for a lot of those things, but but Christianity is a relationship with Jesus that transforms us from the inside out and then empowers us as a community to change our world, as a diverse community to, to make it possible for people to come as they are and to be transformed and to make a difference. And so Jesus' invitation 2,000 years ago in that sermon is the same invitation for you and me now, and that is to let go of religion and embrace the new covenant and the new ethic that Jesus calls us to live in, to live his upside-down way of living. And I think, to be honest, we always have to always, as a church, remember the pull that we always have as sinful human beings once we become religious, once we get Jesus, once we get spirituality, to kind of that old mentality, to religious mentality, where we look down our nose at those who aren't so good at being good. I mean, right now, our culture is rejecting Christianity by and large, at least very skeptical and emerging generations. I mean, people are by the millions now rejecting Christianity. And I don't believe they're rejecting Christianity. I believe they're rejecting a perversion of Christianity. And what Jesus calls us to do always is keep embracing the new and keep living out the new, because that is an irresistible force for good on this planet. That's what happened 2,000 years ago with the early Christians as they as they reached a skeptical culture, as they turned their world upside down, uh, it says in the book of Acts, or turned it right side up, however you want to look at it. So let's be that church. Let's live into the new. And I want us to pray to that end right now and just join with me in prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you sent Jesus into our world, not to just simply give us more religion, but to establish a new covenant with us, a, a new way of relating to you, not based on works, but by grace. And we thank you that you came to call us to live as a community with a whole new ethic, your kingdom community on this broken planet to redeem it and restore what you intended life to be here. And Father, would you help us live into the new and resist the religion? God, would you help us as a church to be your irresistible movement of good in our community and in this world? In Jesus' name, amen.